Hi, this is Jim Menick, and welcome back to Nostrum. For those of you who are actually listening as we're recording it, you know that we have had a short hiatus as we have toured the Habsburg Empire, but we are back and roughly ready to go. I am sitting here surrounded by Teak, which is pronounced Teak, for those of you who don't know that. Teak is the newest feline addition to the family um, and does have a curious, if unstable, psychopathology, which we may or may not get to in future discussions. And, of course, Pip the Wonder Cat. Get down from here. Jeez. Pip the Wonder Cat. Sorry about that. Who, uh, well, is not quite adjusted yet to having Teak pronounced Teak around the house. Um, but in any case, the entire Nostrum family, so to speak, is assembled, ready to go, and, well, I guess we should go. Nostrum, where deontology is more than just an idea, it's a rebuttal by Jules O'Shaughnessy and the Nostrumite, read by Jim Menick. Episode 13, The Envelope, Please. At 5.30 in the afternoon, tarnished Jutmal is ready to go home. He has just come from the tab room, and he knows how the day will end. So now he wants it to end and be done with it. But first, there's the award ceremony. The auditorium of Andrew Johnson High School is seething with unfocused activity. All the debaters have returned from their debating, or their card games, or their frisbee games, or whatever they've been doing to fill up the afternoon, to congeal here with their teammates to await the results. A few will take home trophies. Those who participated in the out-rounds of the Reconstruction Memorial already know they are winners, and some of them have even returned to their debater costumes, if it is the tradition of that school to do so. For the rest, including all the participants in the Little Johnson, plus the Reconstruction finalists, this will be the moment of truth. The night and day team is sitting together at the front left of the auditorium, a position they usually take no matter what the school, the nine of them, including their coach, taking up four rows. Tarnish is alone in the fourth row, trying to find a comfortable position for his sore leg muscles. In the third row are the Tarleton Twins and Hamlet Buglaroni. The Tarletons are still in their future industrialist of America suits, while Buglaroni has grown progressively more disheveled as the day has progressed. Now his shirt tail is out, except for one inch still tucked into his pants above his left hip. The top two buttons of his shirt are undone, and his fly is unzipped to about half-mast. He is beating a notebook in time to the music of his headphones. In the second row are the Maru girls. Camellia never changed her clothes, and Jasmine has changed back into her suit since she has earned an octafinalist trophy, and Jutmal is one of those coaches who believe that a trophy should only be accepted in serious attire. Finally, in the front row are Trat Warner and Ellie DeBella, practically in each other's laps, and Griot Goldbaum, the last of the night and dayers still dressed up. Griot was one of the two Reconstruction finalists. Griot Goldbaum versus Had Fleece of Toulouse-Lautrec. 
Only Jutmal and a handful of other coaches know the results of their round. As for Cartier Diamond and Maury Prentice, sometime recently they must have driven off into the sunset. For good, if tarnished Jutmal could have his say about it. Jutmal has spent most of the afternoon judging. While some coaches look at judging with enormous disdain as something only to be done by lesser mortals, except in ceremonial situations. Debate coaches are big on ceremonial situations. Chapmall regularly likes to get his legal pad dirty, as he calls it. He enjoys knowing firsthand the abilities of the competition, putting personalities to the names and faces, and he feels it is important for him to hear what the other teams are running, especially early in the life of a resolution, which is usually around two months. Mostly, he enjoys debate for its own sake, two smart, well-prepared kids arguing big issues. It is something teenagers are especially adept at, an interest in issues bigger than themselves, which is a calling adults often forego in the process of being grown up. And besides, Jutmal thinks, if you don't like debating... What's the point of coaching in the first place? Of course, Jutmal does try to limit his judging to the elimination rounds. Anyone and everyone can participate in the preliminary rounds, and often two debaters meet who couldn't argue their way out of a hamburger at a vegetarian convention, and the results are unenlightening for all involved. But the eliminations exclude the inexperienced and the inept, usually, leaving only those who know what they're doing. Occasionally, a ringer breaks through, a student who should never have taken up the activity in the first place, but mostly the out-round debates are what Jutmal considers dependable entertainment. The alternatives, playing gin rummy with Hamlet P. Buglaroni, or hobnobbing with his fellow coaches beyond the bounds of minimal courtesy, are neither particularly appealing to him. The former is too preposterous, and the latter is too predictable. No, give Tarnish a good debate round any day, and he'll definitely be a very happy man. The arrival of Dan Ryan on the auditorium stage is an instant signal for the noise in the room to subside, and for everyone standing to sit down. Ryan doesn't have to raise a finger to get this reaction, Old-timers recognize him immediately and know that the festivities are about to begin, while the newbies get the message through osmosis from their older teammates. On the stage, behind Ryan, is a table lined with the trophies du jour, which differ little from one high school to the next. A few rows of winged Nikes are ranged in size places from eight octafinalists to one winner in each division. This time there are the additional Little Johnson trophies, smaller Nikes altogether, but nonetheless in growing size, depending on placement, plus a pile of gavels, which will be handed out as speaker awards. But we'll get to that in a minute, because now Dan Ryan is clearing his throat. Before starting the award ceremony, we would like to thank a few people. He begins. His voice is barely above a whisper, and the idea that he may in fact be involved in a public speaking activity once again bubbles to the surface consciousness of anyone who has ever heard him in public before. 
He then begins a litany of hosannas to parents, teachers, principals, custodians, bus drivers, judges, his fellow Americans, the Pope, Charles A. Lindbergh, and anyone else he can think of. As he talks, Renata Screeds, the actual Andrew Johnson coach and the tournament director of record, shuffles out onto the stage to stand beside the trophies. Rail, thin, and older than justice, she begins to absentmindedly pet one of the larger trophies while watching in admiration as Ryan continues. After the ceremony, Ryan says, you can pick up your packets with the ballots at the back of the auditorium. And now we'll give the results of the little Johnson. Jutmal, who knows these results as well as the results of the memorial, brings his attention over to his novices. If Buglaroni even shows up for another meeting, he thinks, it will be a miracle. The Tarleton twins seem to be in for the duration, and he thinks he might be able to make something of them someday. As for Camellia, she has been the color of blanched spinach all day and has obviously hated every minute of the experience. She will be the most interesting case of all for him. We'll do policy first, Ryan says. He starts by giving out gavels as speaker awards. Although policy is a two-person activity, each individual gets his own separate ranking of speaker points regarding winning or losing or the ability of that person's partner. This is to recognize individual achievement even when your partner is a total disaster. Ten gavels are given, in reverse order from tenth to first place. The audience claps perfunctorily as each is announced, and the winning students, all of whom are debuting novices, jump up and receive their awards with the enthusiasm of total surprise. Since no one except their immediate teammates know who these people are, their histrionics are unaffecting to the crowd at large. We have awards from sixth to first place in team debate, Ryan says. And he announces those six winning teams, again in reverse order, again evoking the enthusiasm from the winners and the ennui and perfunctory applause of the onlookers. This time, the rankings are by win-loss record, the total speaker points only figuring as tiebreakers. And now Lincoln Douglas. Again, we have six awards. There are no speaker's gavels in L.D., one at a time, Dan Ryan announces the names of the winners, none of the first five are from night and day. And in first place, undefeated, and with a total of 89 out of 90 speaker points from night and day, is Camille Morrow. So he gets the name wrong. Camille knows who he means, and rises shocked from her seat, her hands in her mouth. Jutmal imagines that she is about to cry. Yes, she will be the most interesting case of all for him. Camellia walks up to the stage in an obvious daze. There is a momentary confusion over which hand of Renata Screeds to shake and whether to shake it first before accepting the trophy and which hand to take the trophy in, but Camellia manages to accomplish her mission and returns to Jasmine, who gives her a warm hug. Finally, Camellia collapses on her seat, clutching her trophy. So much for the little Johnson. Renata Screed steps forward and changes places with Dan Ryan. She will do the honors, announcing the Reconstruction Memorial winners, while this time it will be Ryan who hands over the trophies. Miss Screed's voice is sharp and loud as it cuts through the auditorium. Like Ryan, she begins with the policy winners, 
First the ten speakers come up, then all the teams that broke are called to the stage and given their awards in order of placement, the octafinalists, the quarterfinalists, the semifinalists, and finally the final finalists. In all the instances except the final finalists, everyone already knows the results. But the final round results are traditionally kept secret until the award ceremony. And the Andrew Johnson Reconstruction Memorial is not a tournament to break with tradition. On the stage now are four debaters. The two teams who have finished their final round barely 15 minutes ago. There is a perfunctory chorus of handshaking among them. One team is male. The other is split down the middle. Male, female that is. Don't let your imagination wander too much. And in a 3-2 decision... Miss Screeds reveals the second place finisher is Toulouse Lautrec, Fab Beater, and Kush Behar. The two boys give a momentary sag of the shoulders at learning they have come in second, then shake their coach's hand as Ryan hands one of them the single winner's trophy, which, by the way, they will return to him on the bus ride home as all Toulouse Lautrec trophies become the property of the school's display cabinet. And in first place, Miss Screeds announced, from Vale of Ignorance, Tara Pitskin and Bill O'Connor. As the words are spoken, everyone in the auditorium, with the exception of some of the novices, who have to be physically prodded, stands up and applauds. The standing ovation for first place is another long-standing forensic tradition, the acknowledgement of the prowess of the person or team who has beaten all the others, at least today. A novice one-day affair like the Little Johnson never merits such a claim. You have to sleep over to get your opponents to stand up for you. While they're standing, Jump Ma looks over to see the gargantuan Seth B. Obamash beaming proudly, slapping his left palm with his right hand, while his left-hand fingers do their best to keep their grasp on a bag of nacho chips. Seth enjoys nothing more than seeing one of his teams come in first place. Nothing except maybe breakfast, lunch, and dinner, Chutmal thinks with a slight shake of his head. After the applause slackens, Miss Screeds turns to the Lincoln Douglas Awards. All the breakers come up to the stage, and again she starts with the octafinalists. This group includes Jasmine, whose expression is stony as she accepts her award. Chutmal is happy that she has begun the year with a trophy, but cannot figure why she seems so miserable about it. Jasmine usually does appear to him to be miserable, but moments like this usually evince at least a tiny lessening of her eternal frown. Something must have happened today, but he has no idea what. Maybe it has something to do with her sister taking a first. Is this the beginning of some complex sibling rivalry? Great, he really needs that. Next on the stage are the quarterfinalists, and then the semifinalists, and then finally only the final LD finalists are left. Rio, Goldbaum, and Had Fleece. Chutmal has mixed reactions about this situation. He has learned over the years that there is little difference between the skills of the top finishers in a tournament. For that matter, there aren't all that many differences in all of the breakers. They're all good, and any one can have a hot day and beat all the rest. But there are a few killers who almost always have that hot day, and both Griot and Had are among them. Even though Jutmal knows who the winner is, that does not alleviate the sense of excitement in the room that affects even him. And in a 4-1 decision, 
Miss Greed begins. Rio and Had are shaking hands. 4-1, Jumpmile thinks. That's a tough loss. Not as bad as a 5-0, but not as subtly more satisfying as the still disappointing 3-2. A great round in second place from Toulouse-Lautrec High School, Had Fleece. There is strong applause. Had is well-known and well-liked as he shakes his coach's hand and takes his trophy. He walks off the stage in the direction opposite to where Night and Day is sitting. You end the winner of the Lincoln-Douglas Division of the Andrew Johnson Reconstruction Memorial from Night and Day High School is Grio Goldbaum. Again, everyone is on their feet. Grio accepts what is not his first winning trophy, and after shaking both Renata Screeds' hand and Dan Ryan's hand, Grio is an excellent politician as well as an excellent debater. He walks back to join his team. As he does so, Jutmal is startled to see Jasmine jump out of her chair and hug Grio warmly, a big grin on her face. Jasmine and Grio? No way. But he's never seen Jasmine so happy in her life. Will wonders never cease? Grab the packet, Jutmal says to Buglaroni rising. We're going home. What's a packet? Buglaroni asks. Jutmal closes his eyes and thinks of pleasant things in pleasant places. The first tournament of the year is over. Will Had Fleece and Grio Goldbaum meet again in a final round? Will Jasmine start dating Grio out of spite? Will Seth B. Obamash find a restaurant on the way home? Will Apple ever get tired of you too? Will Spam ever replace falafels? Find out next time as we prep for the Messerschmitt College Tournament in a restful episode entitled Mashed Potatoes and the Agony of the Feet.